Welcome to a special episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth. My name is Sharon Ryder with CPA Alberta, and I will be your host for this three-part episode that explores the topic of equity, representation, and racism in the CPA profession and in Canada. This topic is important to me on a personal and professional level. I am a member of CPA Alberta's Anti-Racism Working Group, which seeks to increase diversity, inclusion, equity, and accessibility at CPA Alberta and ensure that all staff at CPA Alberta can come to work as their authentic selves. I am also a Black woman and no stranger to many of the issues I'll discuss with our guests today. CPA Alberta has taken many steps in creating safe, productive spaces for employees to learn from and share ideas with each other. Rachel Miller, CEO of CPA Alberta, talked about some of this work on episode 12 of this podcast. CPA Alberta is also committed to encouraging and building these same kinds of safe spaces in the larger CPA profession as well. Alberta CPAs are diverse in so many ways, and as the profession continues to grow, it's important that we progress with the times and continue having meaningful conversations about uncomfortable or complicated subjects. In honor of National Indigenous History Month, joining me via Zoom is Robert Andrews, CPA CMA. Robert is the Executive Director for the Aboriginal Financial Officers Association of Alberta and an Assistant Professor in the Faculty of Business at Athabasca University. He has dedicated much of his career to supporting Indigenous people who wish to embark on careers in business and accounting or enhance their management practices to improve their communities. Robert is a passionate mentor, educator, and leader who has worked hard to build stronger ties between the CPA profession and Alberta's Indigenous students. In these podcast episodes, Robert is going to share his thoughts on racism with an eye towards the future of what an equitable world might look like. Before we dive into our discussion, I'd like to note that shortly after the recording of this podcast, a mass grave site containing the remains of Indigenous children was found at a former residential school in Kamloops, British Columbia. This discovery is a tragic reminder that horrifying parts of our history remain embedded in our Canadian landscape today. Conversations about equity, diversity, and inclusion belong at the forefront of reconciliation and healing. Now, without further ado, I'm pleased to welcome Robert Andrews to Straight from the CPA's Mouth. I heard that future casting is an essential tool for long-term business. According to a recent poll, 48% of Canadians say they are $200 or less each month away from financial Do you think the energy sector is Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth. Hi, Robert. How are you today? I'm well, Sharon. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that we, as an organization, CPA Alberta, reside and serve on the traditional ancestral territories of many Indigenous, First Nations, and Inuit people. Today, I am chatting to you from Mokinstis or Calgary, which is situated on Treaty 7 territory. And as an organization, CP Alberta is committed to building a profession where Indigenous people and their voices and experiences are heard, valued, respected, and celebrated. So I'm really excited to talk to you today. Oh, wonderful. I'm looking forward to, uh, to contributing to the discussion. Perfect. So before we dive in, um, would you like to share a little about yourself to our listeners? 
Um, sure. So I'm a, I'm a CPA. I've, I've got a master's degree and I'm also currently a doctoral student. I'm the executive director of the Aboriginal Financial Officers Association. And that organization, the mandate there is to increase managerial capacity in First Nations. So, of course, there's very many strong linkages with accounting and, and, and the CPA. Um, so that's kind of my professional background. I'm also a member of the Blackfoot tribe. So I, I work extensively with Indigenous people, First Nation people, and, and in fact, am an Indigenous person, First Nation person. Awesome. Thank you. So, Robert, as an Indigenous person, how have your experiences with your identity as an Indigenous person shaped who you are as a CPA and maybe how you conduct business or move through the world professionally? Well, the fact that I'm an Indigenous person, in particular a Blackfoot person, pervades all aspects of my life, personally and professionally. Some of the traditions, cultural um, teachings, experiences, all directly affect me in, in what I do, privately, personally, professionally. So the fact that I'm Indigenous First Nation and that I'm a CPA, I have a very strong obligation to contribute to the betterment of our Indigenous community. And that partly is reflective of our Indigenous practices and traditions where sharing is greatly valued. Um, contributing to the, the collective is very, very important. The, the group over the individual is emphasized. And so I, I would suggest the fact that I'm a CPA allows me to provide services that might not be as accessible to First Nation communities, in part because of the paucity of, of Indigenous CPAs. Thank you so much for that. Can you talk a little bit about you? You talk a little bit about how, you know, it's kind of hard to separate, you know, you not it's hard. It's impossible to separate yourself as an Indigenous person, as a CPA. Can you talk specifically about your experiences as a CPA in the profession um, where historically, although numbers are increasing, there still is very little Indigenous, um, Indigenous CPAs and Indigenous representation as a whole in the profession? Yeah, so. You, you can't separate the two, who I am with the work that I do. My experiences as an Indigenous person also very much flow into my experiences as a CPA, but even that has, has multiple layers to it. So CPAs, by and large, uh, accounting firms provide services, consulting and accounting services to the First Nations and Indigenous groups. And so part of that is, is you see challenges with communities struggling with accounting, but the accounting issues are really manifestations of larger government societal issues. So being a CPA makes me highly attuned to not just the financial challenges, but the reason those financial challenges exist. So you you can you can as a, as a CPA you can look at a balance sheet a financial statement, and and see certain things good and bad, and and as CPAs like to say and accounting people like to say the numbers tell the story of of the organization. Well, in many cases these stories are are long and complex, and and they're built on fundamental inequities that have occurred really since the time of the treaties. Certainly the number treaties. And you, you see these challenges embedded in the financial statements. But being a CPA, you, you understand that there is much more to, to the story. 
So as, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm highly attuned to the historical context for the financial statements and, and it's challenging and, and troubling. There's other aspects too that link to the dominant culture's interactions and interfaces with a population that historically has been marginalized and I would argue continues to be marginalized. And, and so you see, not in all cases, but certainly in some cases, distressing patterns that are reflective of challenges addressing differences or appreciating differences or perceiving differences, uh, certainly in certain lights. So some of these interactions lead to stereotypes, beliefs about the marginalized population, and consequently you get behaviors associated with those beliefs. So as much as I'm proud to be a CPA, all CPAs are part of broader society. And as part of broader society, they carry some of the values, beliefs, points of view, practices of that dominant society. And in particular with, with the First Nation population in Canada, there are some challenges. So in the profession, you see manifestations of larger societal values, just like you see in academia or, or any institution. Where do you think the profession is, or even young accountants or people in the accounting profession are in terms of being equipped to sort of go in, like you're saying, in these situations and work with the different communities? And is there you know, gaps that you see in that where you're like, okay, I feel like we need to be better prepared to be able to work with communities in this sense or that sense? And that's, that's a really interesting question. Canada has a, a unique position in the world, frankly, for acceptance of new populations, immigrant populations, and that's well-documented. And, you know, the, the numbers in the research suggest that Canada is very, very open to, to new people coming to this country and very much accepting. Now, there's always qualifications to that, but generally that statement's true. I, I was in a, an Uber and I was talking to the, the driver who was a relatively new immigrant to Canada. And we were just talking about his experiences. And he says, you know, my experiences here have been wonderful. People have been very accepting. They've been encouraging, helpful. And I said, well, that's, that's really nice to hear as a Canadian. And he went on to say that how his, his home community members describe Canada as paradise. And he expressed this desire within his community, his home community, to come to Canada. So we have this very interesting um, unique place that's open to new people. But on the other hand, we have what I would describe as, as a very hidden element based on a number of things, but principally a historical treatment of the Indigenous population here. There's huge ironies in that because our Indigenous people are the first people. This is their, their land, you know, the space that we currently are in Calgary. My ancestors, my direct ancestors, my great-great-grandfather hunted buffalo here for sustenance, to, to feed his families, not just families, community. So we have this really interesting, almost paradox between the acceptance of immigrant populations, new people to the country, and our 
people that existed pre-Confederation, pre-existence of, of Canada. So when you when you asked, are CPAs well equipped? Frankly, I'm going to suggest no. And, and the reason for that is because these aspects of discrimination, stereotypes, prejudices are very pervasive in the community. And young and old Canadians of every race are exposed to those here. And it's probably hard for a lot of listeners to appreciate and understand. Um, and certainly I'm, I'm more than happy to share some of my experiences. Sadly, many of them aren't happy. But for the benefit of people listening, I'm, I'm happy to, to discuss some of those things. So these, these CPAs, young and old, come in with this overlay or undergridding of views. And the, the truth of the matter is a lot of these are exceptionally ill-informed. People don't understand the history. They don't understand the effects of the residential schools. They don't understand why some of the community members have some of the challenges they do. And there's a very real tendency because interestingly, Canada is very individualistic. Um, some studies I've read suggest we're actually more individualistic than the Americans who hold that as one of their principal um, values. So there's a very strong tendency here to say, we should be able to pull our stuff up by our bootstraps, that we should inherently possess all of the necessary skills to better ourselves. But that's really predicated on false premises. It assumes a certain equality that exists. It assumes certain access to things like quality education, which don't exist in all of the First Nations, and, and these are well-documented. It assumes that the historical treatment of Indigenous people hasn't had long-term impacts, which is not true. I never went to residential school. My mother did, my sisters did, but I bear the scars of, of the residential school experience. My sister, who's younger than I, she never went to residential school, but her children similarly bear the scars of this practice. And this is what's known as intergenerational trauma. And, and, and our, our broader society says, well, you should just be able to fix yourself. You should be able to, to bootstrap. And it, it has very much the flavor of blaming the victim. And it's sadly based on a misapprehension, misunderstanding, ignorance of, of the history and the impacts of these things. And I suspect as we move through the discussion, we're, we're going to see these commonalities of cross, not just racism, ageism, sexism, all of these kinds of things seem to have certain commonalities. But back to our CPA population, there's been great service done by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, by the UN to recognize the history of the Indigenous people in Canada and the rights of those Indigenous people in Canada. And because of some of the institutions, principally universities and, and the schools as well, grades 1 to 12, where they've incorporated learning, understanding, history of, of the Indigenous people, I do think it is improving. And I see signs of that improvement. That kind of leads to a discussion about the role of institutions. And I think CPA as an institution has done a remarkable job in advancing understanding of this, some of these issues. And, and I say that because we've been involved with CPA as an organization well before the Black and Indigenous Lives Matter movements. We, we formed an initiative with them, No Limits, several years ago. And 
in part, it probably came from an understanding of the requests of the TRC, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. But through our exposure with the leadership of CPA, they, they took on a greater understanding and I think a greater role in understanding the obligation of institutions to address these inequities. So I think CPA as an organization has done a tremendous job. I'm sure others have as well. But institutionally, I think it's very important for these institutions to help educate those members that wouldn't get this education otherwise. I know CPA Canada has produced a video, uh, a little bit about Indigenous peoples. And I think these things are very, very helpful. Hoping Sharon that started to move to an answer to your question. Yeah, for sure. Something that you made me think of was you talk about this tension what I see is a tension of a Canadian society that, you know, is very welcoming, open, lots of people desire to come here and live here. And that paradise that you describe for many immigrants, the reality, as you've said, for the Indigenous people in Canada is that it's not quite a paradise for, for many people. There is a contrast there. So Similarly, like you said, there's that tension as well in institutions and our profession is no stranger to that where it's, you know, it's a profession, like you said, that has done a lot over the past number of years to move the needle forward in terms of truth, reconciliation, diversity. But of course, there is still, you know, gaps. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges maybe of, or your experience, I should say, of navigating that tension within the CPA profession, maybe from when you started or as, as you've, you know, gotten more, progressed more into the profession of navigating that tension that I'm speaking of. So in addressing that question, I mean, it's an interesting question. And it's a very complicated question because when I talk about the idea that Canada is a paradise and, and has been described as some, that's not everybody's experience either, right? And, and to suggest mm -hmm. that we are all the same as Canadians or Indigenous people or, or people of color, African-American descendants, our, our experiences aren't all the same. And how we experience our self as people very much is dependent on our interactions with others. So when I suggest Canada is, is very accepting, many people would say, well, that's simply not true. And, and I have to agree with them. For, for many new populations or old populations that have been here forever, that is an experience not shared by everybody. So we're talking about average averages. Many people feel that many people treat them well. But in saying that, many people also believe and feel that they're not treated well. And those experiences are shared by me and they're also shared by my interactions with my other Indigenous community members. And we can never separate ourselves from our institution, from the broader society. We're so integrated. You know, I, I remark about earlier about COVID and, and how COVID shows how interconnected we are. I mean, we took for granted so many of these relationships and we we took for granted the, the, the roles of people that we didn't think were significant in our lives until they're not there, right? So we, we have to understand that, that we're part of this large, complicated network. And so any of my experiences have to be understood in that context. So 
My experiences with CPA are closely linked to the work I do with AFOA and my accounting profession and, and, and the instruction management with Indigenous people. And, and challengingly, those experiences are very hard because they reflect the experiences of community member after community member. And that's one direct linkage to the community through my role with CPA. Had I not been a CPA, I probably would have served my community in another fashion and, and probably would have had similar experiences. But my direct connection with CPA is through my work with, with the organization AFOA. And daily, at least when we were meeting daily, um, it's challenging. So you have a depth and breadth of negative experiences that's hard to, one, accept, and two, try to find your place in helping to, to advance that population within and outside of the profession. So in the profession, and again, I have to say, I've been very well supported by the institution, the CPA organization. And I think it's done a tremendous job trying to advance um, these challenges. But when you look at the experiences, I, I can't help but talking about challenges that would be described as racist as an Indigenous person. In becoming a CPA, of course, I had to take an awful lot of business courses. So many now that have lost track. I can't count them any longer. But even in this experience, there was very real and very strong elements and, and continuous elements of racism all, all through my undergrad, graduate, less so at the doctoral level, but it's still there. And this is a challenge. This is a challenge for Indigenous learners to become CPAs, is the challenges they face in post-secondary environment. And, and so what do these things look like? Well, you have dialogues in business class about economic developments that are being impeded by First Nation people. Without the recognition, these are the rights of Indigenous people. These are their lands. This is inherent in treaty rights or uh, the absence of treaties where they never gave up their claims to the land, as is, as is in the case of BC. Yet the discussions turn into a position that somehow these Indigenous people, First Nation people, are impeding the progress of Canada, or broadly, you know, the people of Canada. And it has strong anti-Indigenous sentiments, anti-First Nation sentiments. And so that moves from the classroom to the hallways where people are fairly liberal in their views and very often are, are very much, based on misunderstanding and, and misinformation, think that the First Nation people are privileged or nothing is further from the truth. And because of this, they feel that, you know, they have a right and obligation to speak out. And so you see this in, in, you know, the halls of universities. You see it in the comments on CBC. You know, you look at any in article about Indigenous people and, and you'll see 600 comments about the privilege and, and how it's their fault they're in this position. And, and worse than that, I'll, I'll, I'll recount an experience from my graduate school. I had a colleague in the MBA program say that... Um, First Nation people have no value. And what, what 
what tends to be a little bit more unique about my experience is I'm not outwardly, obviously, First Nation. I have the characteristics, if, if you're sensitive to, to the characteristics of an Indigenous person, so some of the physical characteristics. So it, my experience has been that people will be more open to me because they think I'm part of the, the dominant culture. And so they're more apt to share their views about Indigenous people because they don't think I am an Indigenous person. Many of these um, points of view are hurtful. And when you look at racism, they often talk about small wounds or, or micro attacks or small attacks. And this is precisely what they are. And this is precisely what many of our Indigenous people experience. Is it, it's not an act like you see in the, in the States where, where necessarily, although there are exceptions, you know, there's a very violent act against a, a, a Black person. But there are these attacks daily that insult and attack their character, their person, their families. And these pains accumulate. And, and they make it challenging for our learners to advance through secondary school, post-secondary, and graduate programs and, and, and CPA programs. And we can be oblivious to this. And to think we're somehow better than that, it, it's, it's simply not so. I mean, these views are, are often based on, on things our family have told us or, or learned behaviors or, or even worse, um, you know, systemic racism that's buried in, in institutions we don't recognize. So to go back a little bit to your question, although I've had many wonderful experiences and, and, and certainly feel privileged to, to share my, my designation with other professionals, the experience has, has had you know, painful moments for sure. Um, when, when, when your colleague says, when the remark suggests that you as a people have no value, it, it, it's hurtful from the individual point of view, the family and, and, and the societal point of view. In saying so, he says, my mother has no value. So, you know, over time, we develop resilience. Over, but <laughs> there, there's, there's an irony to the notion of resilience. And, and anyone that, that has experiences understands this. So I've developed resilience. What does that mean? It, it means that I can function in contexts where there is these assaults on me and my family, my community, because of my indigeneity. But what the resilience is, we, we tend to see this as a positive. We, we perceive resilience as a good thing. But what it actually is, is it's an accumulation of scars. And scars are, are a different kind of, of tissue. They're, they're damaged. They're less sensitive. They're less nerves and, and, and scar tissue. And so the resilience we've developed is scars on top of scars to protect ourselves 
from some of these these assaults, these small assaults, granted, but these assaults. So again, and, and I do want to link back to your question, the experience as an Indigenous CPA or that of an Indigenous doctor, that of an Indigenous lawyer, they occur in the Canadian context of our social views, our, our beliefs, our values, our prejudices, and they reflect this underlying sentiment that exists about our Indigenous people. And, and, and I want to be very, very, very clear. It's not solely Indigenous people. Many people of, of different races or religions experience similar. But what I find different about the Indigenous population is that it's much more covert. And many other kinds of discrimination and racism tend to be more overt. Whereas our Indigenous population, it's much more buried. Now, I, I do want to remark on systemic racism, which I probably think most people of color have experienced. I, I know that's true. And, and that's where these, these beliefs, values, discrimination, attitudes, stereotypes are embedded within systems. And, and this is another thing we have to be really, really mindful of as a profession, because our values, beliefs become embedded in our structures. And our structures as, as a profession are, are old. And so some of our, our practices, our institutions, our principles, our policies are based on old beliefs, old values. And in those cases, some of these kinds of, of challenges we experience are, are, are that much worse. Um, and, and we don't even recognize them. We see them as part of our institutions. So, for example, I have remarked on this notion of meritocracy and, you know, this around, say, hiring practices or admission to the profession is based on this notion of meritocracy, which is the most deserving, the best get in. But again, that's premised on an idea that we all start in the same place. I mean, if we all run a race from the same starting point, we can say this person, given these conditions, was the winner. But in the case of populations, marginalized populations in particular, the starting point is concealed. So we only see, we only focus on the person that crosses the ribbon, but we don't see where they started from. And that's hidden, that's hidden from view. So we focus on the end, we focus on the winner that crosses the line first. And we say, you know, based on our principles of meritocracy, this person is most deserving to enter whatever program at our institution. Concealed from us is their two starting points. And for many of the marginalized populations, those starting points, if we're talking about a hundred meter dash, they might be 10, 20, 30 meters further behind. And for them even to compete for them even to be on the same field as some of these other groups speaks to the, the merit of those individuals. So if they finish third or fourth, if they start that much further back, they are, in fact, the winners. And, and they have the most privilege, the right, based on that principle of merit, meritocracy, to be admitted into that institution or program, what have you. 
And we fail to see that. We fail to understand that. And a big part of that is we simply don't understand the experiences, the history, the context for these marginalized groups. And I'm speaking broadly, not just about Indigenous, mm. but any marginalized group. Um, and, and you can add so many other groups into that, whether it's, you know, people of LGBTQ2 communities, all types could fit into that marginalized population. And if we understand that, which I think it's really important for us to do as an institution, then let's not look at the top three finishers. Let's try to understand where they started and see how far they've progressed. That's really going to indicate to us how much potential these individuals have. It's going to tell us how hard they've worked to get there. And once they've gotten there, how much harder they will work to, to advance their profession, to advance their organization, to advance their people. That would be a really important insight for any institution, CP included, to look really closely at that and sort of to, to accept meritocracy might have value, but only if we understand the starting point and that we don't allow the veil of privilege to hide from us the, the true positions that individuals begin at. This episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth featured Robert Andrews. Thanks so much, Robert, for joining me today. To you listeners at home or wherever you are, keep an eye out for parts two and three, where Robert and I will continue this conversation about equity, representation, and racism in the profession. Don't forget to subscribe to the Straight from the CPA's Mouth mailing list for exclusive content. If you have ideas for future episodes or have any feedback you'd like to share, email us at knowledgecenter at cpaalberta.ca or leave us a comment on social media. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center, check us out online at cpaalberta.ca slash foundation. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the continuation of my discussion with Robert Andrews. Straight from the CPA's Mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to 1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit cpaalberta.ca slash foundation for more information on the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center and to learn how Alberta CPAs inspire success.